Welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. So today we're going to, though, be continuing on in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. Uh, A friend of mine told me a story the other day uh, about a little bit of a predicament that she got her and her son into. Um, so she went up to, she went out, drove out one evening, pick up her son from uh, his friend's house, and they were talking, uh, and it was a hot day, and hey, we, I think, and the mom was like, you know what, we need a milkshake. We need a milkshake from McDonald's. Good idea, mom, let's go get that milkshake. So they drive, they drive through town, and, and they get to McDonald's, and as they're pulling into the parking lot, they see, uh, the sun, they see a cop car with, with lights flashing. The blue and, blue and red lights are flashing away, and the son goes, Mom, I think maybe we shouldn't go. And she's like, what do you mean? The drive through's still open. We're going to continue on. We're going to just drive around and go into the drive through And there was nobody else in the drive through either. So, hey, perfect time, she thought. So, well, she pulls in, gets up to the little window where, you know, where you talk into that little speaker what thing, whatever that is. Um, and, and she decides, oh, I'm going to take a quicker, uh, a, a better look at what the cops are doing over there. And she looks and, oh, it's not just one cop car, there's five. And all the policemen are out with their guns drawn, <laughs> pointing at a truck and two perps inside. And they're yelling at them, get your hands out the windows, get your hands out the window. And by driving into the drive-thru, she put herself in the line of fire. So all of a sudden, there's a voice coming to her from the speaker. How may I take your order today? (laughs) I need a milkshake, quick! But basically, the, 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 she, she was coming in, and all the, the warning signs were there, the, the lights were flashing. Her son said, turn around. No, she kept going. It's an interesting story. And thankfully, it all ended without gunfire. But as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see some warnings from Jesus. Jesus has the lights on. He's saying as we come into this, listen, in life, when you look back at the Sermon on the Mount, and now when you get into these last number of verses, there's, there's essentially two ways to go in life. You, you can go one way or you can go the other way. And so he's giving us a warning. He's flashing the lights. He's got the sirens on. He wants to make sure that we understand what the safe way is, not the way that leads to a dangerous drive through So the big idea for the sermon today as we get in is there's a, well, there, there's a wise way and a foolish way. And the wise build their lives on Jesus. The wise build their lives on Jesus. Three points. The solid way forward. The solid follower. And the solid foundation. So the solid way forward. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. 
Enter by the narrow gate, for the, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So the imagery that Jesus uses here would have been well known to his original audience, the, the first century listeners, as he's speaking there, and they're, they're sitting and listening to him. This would have been well known, the idea that there were cities that, and back then all the ancient cities had walls, and all those ancient cities had gates, and they had main gates that people would go into, where it was the main gate heading into a city where the road would come to the city, and you'd go inside, and it led to the main streets inside the city. If you had animals and things with you, you were going to the main gate, the wide gate. It's obvious. Like for us, if we're going to travel to Vancouver, and we want to go downtown Vancouver, we're going to be taking Highway 1 all the way. We aren't going to be going Fraser Highway and then off onto, you know, number or, uh, 16th and then over through Surrey and over to Alex Fraser or something like that. We aren't going to go that way if we want to get to downtown. We're going to take the easy way. And Jewish leaders also use the metaphor of, uh, of, of paths and ways. But what they would, the way they would use it was that if you were in the, the Jewish family, if you were of the nation of Israel, you, you were pretty much in. See, the wide gate for, the, for those in the, the Jewish family, were, that was the way you wanted. You didn't want to be off that path. In their, in their view, if you were Jewish, you were getting in. For the most part. Yeah, there's some that might not make it. But for the most part, you'll make it. But Jesus totally flips these ideas on their heads and says, listen, no, actually the wide way isn't the way you want to go. You want to go the narrow way into God's kingdom to get into the kingdom of heaven? You're talking about a narrow way. It's hard. It means there's going to, be, have, to, there's going to be, have to be hard choices you're going to have to make in life. There's going to be hard things you're going to have to go through if you're truly going to follow the Lord. He's saying it's, it's not enough to have your bloodline, friends. It's not that going to be that easy. You can't rely on going through the motions of the feasts and, the, and going to the temple with the sacrifices. That's not enough. And he said this already in various ways throughout the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about getting angry. He was saying how, um, yeah, most of you aren't going to go and murder somebody, but if you hate somebody, you've murdered him in your heart. See, most of us are going to have trouble with that in life, right? It's going to be hard not to hate somebody. Most of us will be able to not kill somebody, but to hate, not hate somebody, that's going to be a little more difficult. Or most of you, yeah, sure, you're not going to go and commit adultery. But for you to have impure thoughts or live out fantasies in your mind, that's going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot harder to avoid that. Even living out your spiritual disciplines. It's easy to live out your spiritual disciplines and go to the temple and make sure that you're giving the right sacrifice on the right day and you're just going through the motions. And that's easy. But to do your spiritual disciplines in quiet with just you and the Lord, well, that's, you're not going to receive the commendation. You're not going to receive the attaboys, the pats on the back. 
the wide gate, Jesus is saying, the wide gate that you, many of you think you're, or the many of you think is the way to go isn't the way to go. You have to get on the narrow path. Go through the narrow gate. The wide path may lead to an easy life full of pleasure and full of lots of commendation from your family and from your friends around you and from the world around you, but the narrow gates and the narrow way is going to be a little harder. The wide way, in the end, will lead to emptiness and destruction. One story to illustrate that, um, just recently, the, the founder of McAfee antivirus software died. So, so if you, I worked in the IT industry for a number of years, and if you've worked with computers over the last 30 years, you'll have heard the name McAfee. Kind of McAfee and Norton were the kind of the big antivirus companies. And McAfee, John McAfee, brilliant mind. He worked for NASA. He worked for Xerox before he worked for, he started his own antivirus company. Lockheed Martin he also worked for. And he multi-multi-multi-millionaire. He had it made. For all of us who aren't multi-millionaires, we look at him, buddy, you've got it made. You can have anything you want in this world. You've got it easy from here on. Do anything you want. But it just was never... It was never enough. That what he had was never enough. And he got involved in some things and ended up getting convicted of some crimes regarding fraud. There was some cryptocurrency fraud and, and some other things that he had done. And he was in prison in Spain. And he was going to be extradited to the U.S. to receive more penalties. Some more charges he was facing. And so he committed suicide. You see, he, he, he had gone the easy way. He had the easy life. And he had chosen the path. He had chosen the wide path. But it led to destruction. And his story isn't rare. There, you've, you've heard of this happening before. You hear of CEOs who take their own lives, or you hear of people who have run down paths of complete destruction and are now in jail, even though they had everything given to them. It was so easy ahead of them. But Jesus isn't just talking about this uh, destruction in this life. He's talking about destruction forever. He's talking about eternal judgment too. And some might say, why, why would somebody do this? Why would somebody go that way when they already have everything? Why would they continue down that path to destruction? We don't know everybody's hearts, but there's myriad reasons why people would do that. What Jesus is doing here, though, he's giving us the warning. The lights are flashing. Don't go that way. Take the narrow way. Yes, it's going to be harder. Yes, it's going to mean you're going to have to obey Christ when the world's telling you that that's kind of passe. That's the wrong thing. But we need to be taking the narrow path. It's the better path, even though it's the hard path. It may not be filled with all the worldly pleasure. You'll probably not receive as much praise and commendation from your fellow man. And in fact, when you walk the narrow path obeying Christ, you will likely receive mockery and scorn at times. Throughout church history, this has happened to Christians. 
This has happened in, in the Roman Empire, the, the easy thing to do. They, there was a time when uh, you were allowed to be a Christian, but you just had to go pinch a little incense once a year to Caesar. You had to go to the temple. They, they considered Caesar a god, and so you'd go to the temple that was dedicated to Caesar, and you'd take some incense, and you would just kind of sprinkle it and go, Hail Caesar, and then walk out, and you're done for the year. That's just once a year. And if you didn't do it, you were going to be in trouble with the authorities. And so Christians wouldn't do that because Caesar wasn't Lord. Jesus was Lord. And so they walked the narrow path and they received punishment and persecution for it. Christians around the world still who are choosing to follow Christ, even though it might be against the rules around them or it might be against the authorities or against their government, following Christ is the narrow way. The narrow gate is the solid way forward to a life of peace, joy, and eternal rest. Jesus tell us, tells us that. By, by following him, yes, we're going to have to take up our cross and follow him. And that's going to mean that there's going to be hard things. Jesus went through hard things, obeying God. Paul went through hard things. All the disciples went through hard things. Christians throughout the last 2,000 years have gone through hard things. And we will too if we're going to follow Jesus and stay on the narrow path. But the narrow path leads to eternal life, not eternal judgment. Eternal joy, not eternal suffering. But sadly, not everyone who looks and sounds like they're following Jesus, not everyone who looks and sounds like they're on the narrow path actually are. So we're going to continue in these verses and look at who the solid follower is and who is not. Matthew chapter 7, 15 to 23. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I'm going to pause the verses there. So last week, uh, if you were here or you watched online and heard the message, uh, I talked about something biblical writers use, something called an inclusio or an inclusion, which is uh, last week we saw through the whole Sermon on the Mount was bracketed by these, this phrase, the law and the prophets. So that was at the beginning in chapter 5, and it's here at the end in chapter 7. But there's a smaller inclusion here, right, in in what we just read, and that is that you will recognize them by their fruits. So this section on false teachers, Jesus wants us to know, like, they might sound good, they might sound like what you want to hear, and sometimes even are saying the right things. Even most of the time they're saying the right things. But you'll know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. False teachers almost always have ulterior motives. It often involves money or power or sex. These are the things that false teachers often 
are getting through their false teaching and through their, the power that they're getting, they're using it to manipulate. They're using God's word or they're using their teaching to manipulate people into getting what they want. Not for the good of the people, not for the glory of God, but for the good of the teacher, for the glory of the teacher. You've seen prosperity teachers on TV who have profited wildly over the years through their lies of, if you have enough faith in God, you'll never get sick. Or if you have enough faith in God, you'll get rich. If you, if you sow enough faith seeds, just money, if you sow enough money into my ministry, God will bless you. God doesn't bless you yet, just give more money. We can all see the manipulation that's happening with that. And that they get their private jets and they fly all over the world and paparazzi catch them coming out of their hotel rooms with women who aren't their wives. You can see the manipulation. You can see the power that they get through their manipulation. There's a documentary um, that's been around for a few years already and it was on Netflix for a little while called The American Gospel which exposes a lot of the different types of false teaching that are happening. And, and basically, the, the, the title American Gospel means like somebody has taken the gospel and planted it on the American dream of be, getting prosperous. And it's distorted the truth. It's distorted the truth of the gospel. Highly recommend that show if you have a chance to see it. But there are also false teachers in a lot smaller context. They aren't always the big mega, mega guys who have their, their ministries all over the globe. They're, sometimes they're guys in a lot smaller context. In 2013, um, there was a pastor in Louisiana who was, if you read the reports on him, he was a master manipulator, people would say. His name was R Ronald Harris. One morning, Ronald Harris was preaching before his congregation and a gentleman from his congregation walked in from the back and had a shotgun and shot him to death. Right in front of the congregation. Why? Because the pastor had been sleeping with his wife and with many congregants' wives, manipulating them, telling them that this is what the Lord wants. This is how you can serve your pastor. I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to say it. Um, if, if you ever hear that from a pastor, run away. <laughs> Go the other direction. That is absolutely atrocious. It's absolutely insane that a pastor would use his, that would use his, um, his influence, would use his position of authority over a congregation to manipulate them that way. And yet this happens. This is what pro false prophets do. They manipulate people and they twist God's word just like the serpent did in the garden. Remember in the garden, the serpent goes, Eve sees the serpent and the serpent says to Eve, did God really say you couldn't eat of every tree in the garden? You hear, you hear like he's quoted God a little bit, but he's twisted it and he's made it sound like something that God didn't say. This is what false teachers do. And if you look at the warnings in the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, Peter, Jude, all of them warn against false, false teachers and how they will come into the flock. 
And so this isn't something that only happens in other places. This happens locally. There's people that are looking to bring their false teaching into small local churches. And this happens here in Abbotsford too. But Jesus says they won't get away with it. Look at verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So I think a lot of times we look at people and we see giftings and we think, man, that guy's gifted. The Lord has really anointed him. But we have to look at their fruit. Don't just look at the gifting. Don't just look at the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, 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 the preacher who's so charismatic. Look for the fruit. What does his life look like? Is he taking scripture in context or is he twisting it for his own purposes or for some other kind of purpose? Or trying to get you to believe some current trend of the day? Solid followers know scripture and recognize false teachers when they come. Because we can look at the scripture and we can look and hear at what they're saying. We can look and hear when they say, hey, I've got this new teaching or I have this new philosophy or I have a new understanding of scripture. And our alarm bells go off and we go to scripture and we can see that there have been words taken out of context. Scriptures, verses ripped out, words ripped out of where they should be to mean something else that serve a totally different purpose than what God intended. False teachers aren't solid followers. Peter warns us too in 2 Peter, he says this, um, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And there are, there's, there's people within evangelical Christianity who deny the atonement. Continuing, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. When situations happen, like that pastor that I mentioned who was using his influence to be with many women in his congregation, what kind of witness does that bring to the gospel? It's awful. People end up blaspheming Christ because of it. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. False teachers will get what's coming to them. God will make sure of it. But as disciples, we need to be cautious of who we're listening to. We need to be cautious 
And whenever we hear something, maybe it'll sound really good. But if we're hearing it, we need to test it against Scripture. We need to go to trusted pastors and leaders that we know and say, hey, this is what I heard, but it doesn't seem to line up here. Or, hey, I heard this new teaching from this guy. What do you think of this guy? We need to have discussions around it and figure out what's going on and help each other. This is part of being in the church where we come together, together and we edify each other by holding each other accountable, by bringing our thoughts and ideas to each other and testing them against God's word. Here's a quote from the uh, Spirit of the Reformation Study Bible. It says this, It is not claims or feelings of intimacy with Jesus that matter, nor is it simply good works, even miraculous ones. Only doing the will of the Father counts. This involves knowing God, or rather being known by Him. See, we need to know who God is, but He also needs to know us. We need to have that intimate relationship with Him. We need to be going to Him in prayer. We need to be reading His Word. We need to be spending time together as the people of God, where the Holy Spirit will work in us and through us to support and bless each other. We need all of this. And that's how we can know that God knows us. By testing everything against Scripture, we can be solid followers of Jesus. And we can build our lives on Him, knowing that He is also the solid foundation. So continuing in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So in the end, it all comes down to the wise and the foolish, and kids who are here you guys know the song, the wise man built his house upon the rock? The, ro the wise man built, anybody going to sing? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the house on the rock stood firm. And now, if it was the, the other part though, the wise man built his house upon the sand, and the house on the sand went Smash! We love singing that, right? We do the actions. Smash! It's great. But for those who live that, it's not great. <laughs> it's a fun song to sing, but it's also a warning to us. It is that we need to be building our lives on Christ. He's the cornerstone. He is the foundation. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the verse that this King Road Church is built on. There is no other foundation than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He is the foundation that we need to be building our lives on. 
So he is the, he is the narrow path. He is the gate. He is the foundation. Our lives need to be all about Jesus and building our lives on him. It's, it's actually the same foundation that Isaiah wrote about in Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, verses 16 and 17 says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies or the house built on the sand, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. So, uh, I, I don't know where all of you have built your lives. I know many of you have built your lives on Christ, and that's awesome. That's where we need to be building our lives. But I know many of us, we get distracted, and we can be tempted to build our lives on other things. Maybe we built our lives on, on our heritage, and we look back on, you even look back on all the years of this church, or you look back on, all the persecution that our ancestors went through. But the faith of our ancestors isn't going to save us. It's only faith in Jesus Christ that you have that will save you. It's only when God the Holy Spirit does a work in your heart and transforms you and changes you to love God and love the things of God and want to live for him and want to build your life on Christ that will save you. Maybe some of you have built your lives on the fact that you can do hard work and you can, you can build yourself a house and you can get wealthy and you can build yourself a great bank account or great savings or great investments, whatever they are. But you know, the first serious illness that comes along, you're in bed and you're all of a sudden not working hard. Anything else that we build our lives on other than Christ is sand anything else. You may not feel it now. You may feel totally secure. And, oh, my life's built on, yeah, it might not be Jesus, but I'm totally secure, man. I got nothing to worry about. But at any moment, it can come crashing down. But a life built on Christ will not Look at this quote. Although the houses of both the foolish and the wise men may for a long time appear equally secure, when the storm does come, the destruction of the foolish man's house is total. So it is with the life of the one who ignores the words of Jesus. So friends, heed Jesus' words. Heed Jesus' words. When you read through the whole Sermon on the Mount, obey Christ's words. And don't take it to be some kind of a way of earning your salvation. It's, it's not about self-righteousness. It's not about looking good or looking moral. It is about obeying Christ because you love him. We obey him, we do good works because he has prepared those good works for us, because he has loved us first. And now we love him in response in our obedience, not to earn his love, not to earn our way into the heavenly kingdom, 
That's not what's going to work. We can't achieve our salvation on our own. Our good works aren't enough. And our religious practices aren't enough. We need to put our faith and our trust and our hope on the firm foundation who is Jesus Christ. He is the secure hope. And when your hope is in him, you can have assurance. So in a moment, we're going to look at uh, the scripture again as we go to the Lord's table. But as we go to the Lord's table, um, first I want to put this out there. Um, I, I don't know, like I said, I don't know what you've built your lives on, and maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus yet. But I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Because maybe you've building, been building your life on the sand, and you finally are looking at it, and you're going, yeah, it's time to relocate. It's time to build on the rock. And if that's you this morning, uh, I want to just invite you after the service, come find me, come find Pastor Heinz, come talk to us. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you. Because it's only through Jesus Christ that we can have the forgiveness of our sins, the penalty for our sins paid, and the assurance of salvation, eternal life, which begins right now. Jesus is ready to save you. He is ready and willing to forgive you. And he is ready to give you that peace that passes understanding. But we need to surrender to him. We need to give him our lives. We need to turn from our way, from self-righteousness, and trusting in Christ's righteousness. Uh, after I pray, now if you haven't received the little package for communion yet, please put up your hand and one of the ushers will bring you that package. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your grace and your goodness and your mercy and your word. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount and that you have given it to uh, 2,000 years ago to those people who were listening to you there and that Matthew and, and Luke have recorded it so that we can read it and hear from it and, and by your spirit, Lord, have your word change us. So I thank you that you've given this to us and that you've shown us what the narrow path is. That you've shown us what it looks like to build our lives on the firm foundation of you, Lord Jesus. So as we go to the table to remember your perfect life, your sacrificial death and your resurrection, Lord, I pray for those, those of us who, who need to repent of sin. Would you convict us of what we need to repent of and, and lead us to a life of obedience, a life following you, of building our lives on you. And for those of us who are doing that for the first time today, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, give them joy in their hearts and, and that they would share this good news, that they've repented of their sins and put their faith in you this morning. So we praise you, Lord. I ask you to continue to be with us as we worship you through song and through going to your table. In your name, Jesus. Amen.